Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. cover two quick headlines this morning before we jump into a conversation with Dr. Bruce Ashford about the doctrine of creation. And trust me, it's not as wonky as it sounds. All right. So news out of the Pentagon yesterday. Uh, I feel fairly confident illuminates why Dr. Mark Esper was removed on November 9th from his position as the Secretary of Defense. So the president's appointee yesterday, Acting Defense Secretary Christopher Miller, announced plans to reduce U.S. troop levels in Iraq and Afghanistan to 2,500 military personnel by January the 15th. Now, President Trump is ordering the drawdown against advice and warnings from members of his own party, NATO, U.S. allies around the world, several uh, U.S. military officials, um, notably the inauguration of the 46th president of the United States, presumably now Joe Biden, uh, will take place on January the 20th, just five days after this troop withdrawal or troop reduction ordered by uh, the sitting president. Yesterday, the president also announced on Twitter that he was firing uh, a Homeland Security official, Chris Krebs, who has been serving as the nation's director of cybersecurity and infrastructure security. Um, And notably, the president fired Mr. Krebs because um, he failed to support the president's claims of election fraud. Lawyers yesterday uh, who were asked to make the president's case in Pennsylvania resigned just hours before uh, that hearing in court in the Keystone State, um, denying the president's uh, campaign claims there. Um, Election results are being certified across the country. The deadline is December the 8th for those certifications. The Electoral College will vote on December the 14th, and it now seems seems increasingly clear that that the person who will win the Electoral College uh, is Joe Biden. Uh, we, we we probably are at the place where we need to start making peace with that, and we need to start planning for how we will actively uh, pray for and engage a new administration. Last week, the U.S. Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, announced that he would make a seven-nation tour. Uh, he is on that tour now. He stopped in France, and then he spent time yesterday in Turkey. This is notable. He did not meet with any government officials there. Instead, America's top diplomat sat down with spiritual leaders from Tur- Turkey's persecuted Christian minorities. Pompeo was greeted by the spiritual leader of the world's Orthodox Christians, the ecumenical patriarch Bartholomew I, uh, who leads around 300 million Orthodox Christians. And then the Secretary of State met with the Apostolic Nuncio of Turkey, Archbishop Paul Russell. Um, that is notable, and you're going to be one. You're going to want to be watching what the Secretary of State is doing in the rest of his tour. I am expecting um, further developments on behalf of the people of Israel and peace with their neighbors in the region. All right, next up. Dr. Bruce Ashford, we're going to talk about the doctrine of creation. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Joining me 
joining me again today, Bruce Ashford from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today we're talking about a brand new book entitled The Doctrine of Creation. Bruce, welcome back. Hey, it's good to be on the show, Carmen. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We're going to make, um, we're going to make doctrine fun again. That's going to be the goal of this conversation. <laughs> MDFA. Yes, exactly right. Okay, so the doctrine of creation, before we get into what it is and why it matters, I want you to talk about the theological tradition out of which this particular conversation grows. So Abraham Kuyper, or the Kuypernian tradition, talk about that. Yeah, so Abraham Kuyper is a name that maybe many Americans won't know, but he's an important name to know, I think. He lived in the Netherlands more than 100 years ago, and he began as a pastor, but he later founded a Christian university, the first Christian university of the Netherlands. He founded a national newspaper, founded a conservative political party, um, became a member of parliament, and then became the prime minister of the Netherlands. So he was an amazing person. And what he was known for the most was reflecting on what it meant for Christ to be the Lord over everything in our lives. So he reflected on what it meant for Christ to be Lord over culture. What do our Christian commitments have to do with things like art, science, politics, sports and competition, marriage and family? All these things that take up the vast majority of our life, you know, outside of our Sunday morning church meetings and our, our devotional time with the Lord. How and why do those things matter? And so he began to take a look at patterns in the Bible and patterns in history. And what he noticed is that just like God created different kinds of animals, he also created different kinds of culture to arise out of the created world. So God created Earth uh, with human beings, men and women, and animals, and, and wind and fire and air and water and all of that sort of thing. But he created, when he created it, he created it with hidden potentials so that it would, would go from being a garden to being a collection of cities and nations that have all kinds of culture, movies and music and literature and fashion and architecture and agriculture and politics and all of these different kinds of culture. And one of the neat things that he did is he basically gave Christians three questions that we can ask when we're involved in any kind of cultural activity or when we find ourselves in one of these spheres of culture, right? When we find ourselves watching a movie shopping for clothes, eating dinner, watching a ball game, engaged in science, going to school, these kind of activities that we do. And he gave us three questions to ask that guide us in how to approach those activities in a Christian manner. And the three questions sort of align with three big plot movements in the Bible, creation, fall, and redemption. So the first question aligns with creation, and that is, if I, if I really sit and think about it and read my Bible and look at the world around me, what is God's design for this type of cultural activity? A movie, a book, our workplace, whatever the activity is. What, what, what would God want from it? Number two, the second question aligns with the fall, and that is how has human sin and idolatry warped and twisted this realm of culture, this type of cultural activity? And then number three aligns with God's salvation, his redemption, and that is now that I'm a Christian— Jesus is Lord of my life, how can I untwist what's been twisted in this arena? How can I redirect what's been misdirected? How can I bring healing where there's corruption? So let's take an example, something that most people do, or at least that people used to do before COVID, is we would often go to a movie theater. Now, usually we have a home theater, right? We're watching Netflix or Disney Plus or Amazon Prime or whatever it is, Hulu. So if we were to take those three questions and apply them 
into uh, the cultural activity that is movie watching, they say, what would God's design be for movies? Well, movies are like books, in that, uh, fiction books or narrative books, and they tell a story. And when they tell a story, they always have a hero. And the hero is usually somebody we're supposed to look up to. There's usually a villain, somebody we're supposed to look down towards. And the villain tries to do something bad, and the hero tries to overcome it. And so what we want to ask is, uh, what we want to say is, there's nothing wrong with going to a movie in and of itself. It tells a story. There's nothing wrong with that. Second question is, well, how have sin and idolatry corrupted this realm? Well, one of the ways that it's corrupted is that Hollywood screenwriters, producers, and directors often have a wrong view of the world, and they use the stories that they tell to try to, to convince us of a wrong view of the world. Sometimes they don't. There's some really good movies out there. There's some really bad ones. Then most of them are kind of in between. They're a mixed bag. So then our third question aligns with salvation or redemption, and that is, okay, if I'm watching this movie, and I've got a Hollywood screenwriter and director who are trying to convince me of at least a partly wrong view of the world, how can I be on guard against that? How can I enjoy the good aspects of the movie uh, while kind of giving the Heisman to the bad aspects? You know, how can I eat the fish but spit out the bones. Does that mm. make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. Um, and I I appreciate the clarity with which you express that. This is going to be, I'm, I'm going to have these like on an index card and go over these with my kids. Um, because I do think that it's easy for us as Christians to have the conversation about what God intended it to be like, whatever it is. And it's frankly pretty easy for us to do the second part, which is, you know, how uh, how has this been profaned? How, what's the degradation? Where's, you know, it, that's easy. The shadow side is easy for us to see as well. The third move is, I think, the difficult one. And I love the way you've just expressed that. I can discern what is good from what is not good. And I can choose to um, take the good and spit out, uh, spit out that, which is not good. I, I can tell the difference. The Holy Spirit enables me to tell the difference. Um, and I can choose to move in the, you know, in the direction of the good and not, uh, and not the reverse of it or not the evil. I just, I really appreciate that. Okay. Um, you and I need to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're actually going to talk about the subject matter itself. The book is The Doctrine of Creation, A Constructive Kypernian Approach. I know it sounds like a mouthful. It's actually a feast. Bruce Ashford is here to talk about it with me, co-authored with Craig Bartholomew. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation now with Bruce Ashford, we are talking about his new book, which is The Doctrine of Creation. Um, Bruce, um, before we go any further, um, who is Craig Bartholomew? So Craig Bartholomew is a good friend of mine. He's South African uh, by birth, but uh, lives and works uh, uh, right next to the University of Cambridge right now as the director of the Kirby Lang Institute for Christian Ethics. He's Anglican. Uh, he uh, loves the Lord and believes the Bible. He uh, started out as an Old Testament scholar, uh, but now is uh, basically a whole Bible scholar. He and I ha had a, uh, the time of our life writing this book. It took us about a decade. We wrote the rough draft and then didn't like it all that much, uh, uh, knew it needed to be improved, and we sat on it for about seven or eight more years and worked on it. And finally, it was, uh, it was released a few weeks ago. 
So I just love that. I, I, I really appreciate that. I appreciate that this is not an American book. Can you talk about that? When we tra- start having a conversation about Christian doctrine, we are not talking about a doctrine that is trapped in any uh, one national expression or even in any one period of time. Um, I think that's an important part of the conversation that we're having in this generation that might be differentiated from conversations had in prior generations on this topic. Yeah, so the interesting thing about the doctrine of creation is it is next to the doctrine of God, it is the biggest doctrine in all of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything that we see and everything that we don't see other than God was created by God. And this book is an exploration of the whole of the cre- uh, of the created world and uh, the goodness of it and the value in it. Um, and so it far transcends any one nation or any one person. It even transcends the earth that we live on. It includes the whole created universe, visible and invisible. Um, and so there's a, a, an initial answer to your question. And you guys launch into the doctrine of creation um, being an article of faith. I do think this is this is like at the most primary level what differentiates me from non-believers. I actually do believe that in the beginning God, and in the beginning God created. I mean, it, this is I think what differentiates um, people with a supernatural worldview, believers in maybe all three dominant world religions versus those who believe otherwise. Like, this is at the very basis. Yeah, it is. I mean, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There was uh, nothing, and then there was something, and it's God who made the something out of the nothing. And that's an enormously powerful statement. And the Bible doesn't apologize for it. It doesn't build a lot of arguments to try to force people to believe it. It just says there was nothing, there was something, and God did it. And the fact of the matter is, if there was nothing and then something, the only candidate for a God like that is God. And so in the beginning, God, that's the first big point that our book makes, is that God stands behind the created world. A second big point that it makes is that the world that God created is good. It's repeated six times in Genesis chapter 1. And it was good, 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 it was very good. And that means that though the world we live in is not something we're trying to escape. And in fact, when Christ returns, he's going to renew this heavens and earth. The new heavens and earth is this heavens and earth that we live on right now, renewed. And so our goal is not to escape to heaven, although right now in the meantime, in the interim, when a person dies, they go to heaven. It's a wonderful place to be in the presence of God. But in eternity, God is actually going to be here with us on this heavens and earth. And so this heaven and earth that we live on right now matters to God. And so if the, if the creation matters, then all of human culture matters. Because culture, things like art and science, politics, economics, sports and competition, business and entrepreneurship, marriage and family, all of these things are part of the created world. And they're developed out of the created world. And the only way to be a human is to be deeply immersed in the created world and to live in the created world in a cultural manner with these cultural things that we've created out of God's good world. And so we want to embrace the fact that we have bodies and that we live in this earth, and we want to use our bodies and minds and live on this earth in a manner that pleases him. And that's what we try to teach in this book, and that's what we're doing with this uh, doctrine of creation, this theology of creation. You talk in here about 
Sabbath, you talk in here about heaven, you talk in here about um, place and plants and animals and human beings, you talk in here about um, uh, the travails of of creation, um, you talk about redemption. It's very, very comprehensive. Um, and I think that the conversation about it's not just that we are going to heaven. It's that God is planning on being right here in the good creation that he made. The doctrine of creation is, um, is so hopeful, and it's, and it's beautiful. Can you just revel a little bit in, in, in that? Because <clears throat> I think that people might be tempted to imagine that a book on the doctrine of creation is a too far a reach for them. And that's really not what you're doing. You're actually trying to bring it into the conversation that every Christian needs to be having at a very deep level about who God is and what he has made. Yeah, I mean, one of the most uh, satisfying things we can do is to study and appreciate the world that God made. And when you appreciate an espresso in the morning uh, with some frothy steamed milk, and you can smell those ground um, espresso beans, you're enjoying God's good creation. When you watch two teams play football on a Saturday afternoon, you're enjoying God's good creation. Um, When you go to sleep on a cold winter's night with three warm blankets over you and a little fireplace near you, you're enjoying God's good creation. So we want to thoroughly enjoy uh, the world that God made. We also want to enjoy the design of the world that he made. So we can't ignore the way he designed it because the way he designed it teaches us how we ought to live in it. The transgender movement is an attempt to erase God's design for the world. This, the fact that every person who's born either has the XX or the XY chromosome, and that can't be that can't be avoided. And how many surgeries and, and hormone therapies you get. And so we we want to pay attention to whether God designed us to be a man or a woman, and we want to live in conformity. With that, transhumanism, um, another word that's a mouthful, is the attempt to make humans into uh, sort of uh, semi-gods, in a sense, by enhancing our brains and enhancing our bodies uh, so that we become partly non-human. This goes against God's uh, design for humans, to, uh, to mutilate the human body, to make us something that we're not. So we want to pay close attention to how God designed the world, because his design for the world helps us understand how to live in the world. One more example. Um, God designed the world so that mothers will instinctively cradle their babies, even when the baby is in the womb. They'll protect the area where, the, you know, where their stomach is, where, the, where, where the, the baby is housed, and because God designed a woman to want to protect the baby in the womb. And so we also want to design our laws in our nation so that the weakest and most vulnerable, an unborn baby, uh, will be protected by law and welcomed in life uh, rather than um, disposed of and called the products of conception. So the doctrine of creation matters for so many reasons and is very relevant to our social, cultural, and political issues, not only in America, but across the globe. I'm thinking here about things that teenagers are talking about today and the conversations where these where the doctrine of creation then so clearly connects with what they're talking about. So um, just to make a cultural leap here, um, kids are talking about the fact that WandaVision uh, has been delayed in uh, in its broadcast de- de- debut on Disney+. And 
um, lots of conversation about Scarlet Witch and Vision. And Vision is, you know, not actually human. He's a synthenoid. And it has provoked conversations in our family about um, uh, about exactly what you're talking about. What is God's design? Um, how has God's design been really very much perverted in um, witchcraft on the one side of this of this conversation, and then this very transhumanist creature uh, known as Vision? I mean, the, it it these are contemporary conversations. These are relevant conversations, and they grow out of right uh, grow out of a right understanding of the doctrine of creation. Yeah, they do. And really, that's what we try to do in this book. If you want to reach out and buy it, it's called The Doctrine of Creation, available on Amazon.com. And uh, we try to show that the doctrine of really all of the human life is lived uh, in in the created order. Mm -hmm. And the whole drama of redemption and salvation of Christ coming is lived out in the middle of the created order. And when Jesus came to save us, he did it with a human body. And uh, so these questions, the kind of questions that you're posing, are are relevant to the questions that teenagers ask, to the questions that adults ask, and really to the to, to every square inch of our lives. Every square inch. That's very Kypernium. I love it. Bruce Ashford, as always, what a joy to talk with you. The book is The Doctrine of Creation. Um, Bruce Ashford and Craig Bartholomew are the co-authors. Um, you can also check out what Bruce is uh, working on at bruceashford.net. Follow him on Twitter at Bruce Ashford. Bruce, as always, thanks for joining us on Mornings with Carmen. Hey, it's so great to be on the show. This is the best show, uh, best morning show in the United States of America. So uh, thanks for letting me come on. Oh, you're so kind. Um, we'll be clipping that for rebroadcast. Absolutely. Hey, thanks. <laughs> we appreciate it, brother. We'll talk soon. All right, okay. friends, we've got to take Bye-bye. a brief break, and we'll be right back. All right, and a quick follow-up to a conversation that we just had yesterday about Wycliffe Associates' development of a visual language Bible for people who are deaf and illiterate. Uh, Mission Network News has a story posted today about Wycliffe Associates' portable printing presses that they are distributing in places where Bible distribution would not otherwise be possible. Uh, and that's because of, of government persecution. I'm going to talk with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News about a range of headlines. She's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Moms and dads often bear the brunt of anger unleashed by their teen, like a son who's set off by the dumbest things. Sound familiar? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Anger is often the impulsive emotional response from a kid who's denied what he wants. Well, boys truly want to grow up to be men, but that process is often hampered by parents who aren't ready to hand over the freedom. Moms and dads who nag less and let a young man make choices actually transfer responsibility to their kids. Mom, dad, he'll never grow up if you keep spoon-feeding his every desire. Let your son, your daughter make their own decisions. Their painful mistakes will teach them lessons they could never learn from a lecture. Want to hear Mark in person? For a list of upcoming events, go to parentingtodaysteens.org. That's parentingtodaysteens.org. To boldly go where no one has gone before. Joining me again today, Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can find everything that we're going to talk about today at Mission News. 
Mm-hmm. See, mine still comes up mnnonline.org. So is it? So now I got to just type it in again. Missionnews.org. There we go. Ruth, I'm going to get to the right place eventually. Welcome back. They're all they're all going to come to the same place because That's we exactly. we hit it that way because so many people try so many different things. I love that. It's uh, Jesus is going to lead us all home. There you go. That will be my takeaway from that. Uh, so we type, you type, type, start typing in mission and add the word news, and you're going to get what we're talking about today. Um, Ruth, let's start in Central America. We have highlighted here um, both hurricanes Ada and Iota, but I'm looking forward to um, to your update on how our Christian brothers and sisters are faring and what ministries on the ground are doing in the aftermath. Yeah, you know, it's been really interesting to watch this this hurricane season because it is so unusual. I think it was 30 named storms and 13 hurricanes. And in this case, Iota is going over basically the same area that Ada hit. Mm. So what it's leaving in its wake is um, flash floods and mudslides because the ground is already saturated from the previous storms. So now you're dealing with those kinds of issues in Guatemala, Honduras, and Nicaragua. Our partners at Trans World Radio say that um, – it's it's this particular section of uh, rescue efforts um, in from the the second storm are hampered because a lot of the resources that went out to help people from Ada are gone. So there's no gas left to power the boats to evacuate people. There's less food. There's less you know space in the store in, in the uh, the shelters. Um, there's there's a lot more complications from this particular storm. And in this case, people are just really tired of back-to-back disasters. It's just one hit on top of another. They've barely processed what's happened two weeks ago, um, and now you're dealing with yet another thing. And and I think the thing to to just realize is that you've had two weeks and, what, 15 miles that separated the space from where Ada hit and where Iota hit. So it's really not a a very—it's basically the same footprint on these storms. Um, And and people are searching for hope at this point because they've already lost everything. They couldn't have more stuff to lose, Um, but whatever was left is now gone too. And so Transworld Radio recognizes the difficulties and the emotional trauma that comes with this, and they've kind of— They've been doing programming anyway to just encourage people and to introduce the hope of Jesus Christ. Because when people are searching desperately for something that makes sense in a time when nothing makes sense, uh, they often will turn to uh, to the gospel, uh, especially if it's being put out there. And Transworld Radio has a reputation of being able to be trusted with good information, information that is aside from uh, presenting the hope of Jesus Christ. It's it's practical information about uh, where you can get help, um, uh, you know, who is opening their doors for shelter, um, where food distributions are going on, and, and those kinds of things, as well as giving people a platform just to to grieve. Because let's face it, when you lose everything, there's, there's a certain amount of grief that comes with that. Um, so Transworld Radio is really answering uh, a lot of those questions. Their partners are um, pretty tapped out, though. There's there's mm-hmm. not a lot to, to share right now because it's already gone out. So they're asking us to be praying for them, uh, for wisdom. And if you can come alongside them as they really kind of try to respond to the second storm and a second emergency, uh, that would also be appreciated. I know it sounds like, you know, a thinly veiled request uh, for, for support, but it, it's just an out out. It's a flat out there request for support. Yeah, people really need um People, people need help, and um, if you're in a position to offer help, 
in the form of uh, tangible assistance, you know, we're just going to encourage you to do that. And we're going to do so without shame. Um, this is how the people of God are mobilized. This is how we find out what's happening around the world and how we come alongside one another um, in times of, of need. I have a dear friend at uh, Transworld Radio. Her name is Peggy Banks, and she um, she's their ministry director globally for the Women of Hope portion of what they do. And I just, there, it'd be impossible for me to love a person more um, than I love her. So Ruth, I appreciate your partnership with, uh, with Transworld Radio and lifting up what they're doing right now in Central America. Um, let's pivot to Mozambique. I, um, I lifted this story up close to a week ago now, um, but I think we're now getting um, more fully developed stories out of uh, out of the region, and you're certainly um, going to give us some on-the-ground reporting that we would otherwise not have access to. So brief people in on what's happening in Mozambique. You know, I think this, this particular story and the insurgency that goes with it kind of slid in under the radar because everybody was watching ISIS in the Middle East, uh, in the Middle East, you know, Iraq and Syria. And as uh, the militants lost ground in the Middle East, they were moving elsewhere. And we were watching other places like maybe Nigeria um, and places that are in northern Africa. Southern Africa was just not a place that we had our eyes on because I don't know why. Um, maybe it was because the Muslim influence wasn't as prevalent as it is in North Africa. But over the last three or four years, what we've seen is these militants starting to gain a foothold in places where you weren't expecting them to show up. And in Mozambique, you know, they went from maybe one or two attacks a year to now there have been maybe three or four attacks from March to August. And from September on, we're talking double the amount of attacks and they're vicious attacks. They're, They're absolutely meant to inspire terror as this militant group is trying to establish a foothold in the northern part of Mozambique. So um, when you're talking about like the different uh, affiliates that are connected to the Islamic State, we know that in Nigeria, it's the Islamic State of West Africa province. In in Mozambique, it is the Islamic State of Central Africa province, and it's located in Mozambique. So they're trying to establish a foothold. They've already uh, tried to basically take over an area that's known for its richness in resources uh, that would be gas and oil. It's Cabo Delgado, and it is an area that uh, basically rolled over without much resistance. So you've seen a number of attacks kind of in and around that area as this particular uh, set of extremists are um, – trying to run anybody out who don't agree with them. And the most recent attack was November 6th. And it was rather uh, graphic what they did. They, they, the way that they killed people was meant to leave a message. Mm-hmm. And it was meant to say, if you don't believe the way we want you to believe, just like ISIS did in Iraq and Syria, we are going to do to you what they did to their, um, to their enemies. And in this particular situation, in a village attack that happened on November 6th, they did leave a grisly message. Uh, thousands of people fled the violence and they went anywhere that would take them. And because of Mozambique being in an area where most people are, uh, 
well, a lot of people didn't think that Mozambique was going to be drawn into this kind of violence. There are a lot of mission stations, uh, a lot of compounds and a lot of churches in, in this area. So they opened their doors to take in these people who are fleeing the violence. Um, and right now, that's how believers are actually trying to help with what's going on there. It's so it, it's not I'm going to say it's sudden. Um, it is it is so the volume has changed so much that some ministries uh, had put it, have put Mozambique on, on the back burner. And now mm -hmm. they're trying to say, OK, we need to put something more in place to come alongside the church because Christians are being targeted for not being Muslim. Yeah. And uh, that's an obvious thing. And now because you have so many Christian mission stations that are holding and protecting the refugees, they're going to be targeted. So we need to be praying. Uh, our partner is Voice of the Martyrs Canada, and they are looking into what they can do to respond as the situation is unfolding, specifically in this particular village area near uh, Cabo Delgado. Uh, just in terms of the numbers, um, there were 90,000 displaced people, according to um, humanitarian uh, headcounts that the UN does, um, and that that number has risen to at least 355,000 in just the last few weeks. So we're talking about an additional quarter million people who are literally in desperate need, and very few relief organizations um, beyond the ones that we're that we are describing to you now. Um, are in the region to help. So we want to lift this up not only as a prayer concern, but also as an opportunity to engage. Again, you can find more at missionnews.org. Ruth Kramer and I will be right back. In the bottom of the next hour, um, we are actually going to talk with uh, Dr. Hormoz Shariat about Iran Alive Ministries and Iran's Great Awakening. And today seems an appropriate day to be having that conversation because today is the first ever uh, MBB Global Prayer Day. And I'm going to let uh, Ruth Kramer tell you what MBB stands for. It stands for Muslim Background Believers. Um, you know, we were just talking about uh, how... Uh, Muslim extremists are taking over in so many parts of Africa um, and what kinds of issues that uh, that they're creating, uh, the issues of persecution on the rise. We've had a number of stories recently where um, even the Pew Research Center says persecution is on the rise and they're really uh, targeting Christians. Um, and, and so it seems appropriate as we look at the month of November, as uh, we spent the first two Sundays this month, uh, marking the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, that we are talking about the first global day of prayer for the MBBs, um, because they are who are really making up this this wave of the new body of Christ. Um, the more Muslims have come to faith in Christ in the last 10 years than in the last uh, 14 centuries. And that's according to our friends at Uncharted Ministries. That's been backed up by a number of other ministries that are connected to you know, supporting the persecuted church, which would be like Open Doors, Voice of the Martyrs Canada, VOM USA, um, and and anybody who's been working with the Muslim world is saying that because of um, so many things shaking the foundations of the Muslim world, Muslims are turning to this other message that they're hearing about who Jesus is, and we're hearing things about dreams and visions that we have been hearing 
you know, in the last maybe 10 years, but now it's even more so. And, and these dreams and visions as amazing and, un, um, you know, they, they're amazing. And I wanted to say, um, boy, uh, the, the word I'm looking for is just not coming to mind. <laughs> um, Remarkable. Supernatural. Supernatural. Yeah. <laughs> uh, these things that we might want to say that can't be real, they are uh, happening mm -hmm. and, and they're people's testimonies in how they came to faith in Jesus Christ. And we see that marked out in the New Testament as well as people came to know who Jesus Christ was as their savior and who God is. Um, so we're, we're seeing all of these things as the wind is blowing in the house of Islam. And uh, you've seen it in places like Iran, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Pakistan. Um, you're, you're hearing about it because uh, there are so many organizations that are out there in the Muslim world, reaching the unreached with the hope of Jesus Christ, and people are responding to that. So, you know, our friend uh, from Uncharted uh, Ministries is Tom Doyle, and he has invested heavily in the Muslim world in ministry. And so he's been watching this, his fingers been on the pulse of this, and he's he was excited to tell us about this global day of prayer and why it connects the West to uh, Muslim background believers and why that's important. Um, the connection also can be through uh, a lot of the online presence because sometimes people get um, maybe put off by the idea that it's so far away and really what can I do to make any difference? And when you when you visit the page where this is all taking place, uh, where you've got the prayer vigil going on and people are sharing their prayers and, and sharing video and things like that, um, you can see that God is moving in people's hearts and their lives and how they're praying. They're they're kind of stoking a prayer furnace. And there are two times that that people are being in, uh, being asked to specifically set aside uh, to join prayer movements on this day of prayer. Um, and so I guess, you know, it's like I'm trying to unpack too many things at once. Um, the website to join the prayer, the day of prayer is mbbglobal.net, mbbglobal.net. We also linked it in our article. So if you didn't quite catch it or if you're driving or something like that, go to MNN online or missionnews.org. And um, we've got a link for you there. You can connect there and register or just go straight to the website. The first prayer vigil took place earlier this morning. So if you're in central time, it took place at 3 a.m. <laughs> so you might have been sleeping then. Um, the second prayer vigil will take place at 9 o'clock central time, and it's two hours long, 9 to 11. Um, and it's just there's some things that uh, – resources that are available on this website to help you learn how to pray for uh, the needs that are happening, uh, that are occurring in – these areas where you have, you know, huge waves of people that are turning to Christ, um, specifically for the needs of the Muslim background believers. Because if you're looking at some of these areas that they're coming from, turning your faith, turning your, your back on Islam and turning to Christ is apostasy. And in a lot of the countries that we're talking about, that is uh, a death penalty offense. Apostasy will get you killed or jailed. And so it, it's there comes with it a risk. And yet, if you were, you know, you just say you talk to these people and say, why would you risk that? Because the hope that comes from Jesus Christ is real and they are willing to take that and they are willing to take uh, the risk and share their new faith with their families. And in some of the countries where you're not having persecution coming down from the government, it's coming from your family. So there are a lot of needs to be praying about.
a lot of us have um, neighbors who come from um, Muslim-majority countries. Many of us have in our cities and certainly uh, across the nation people who come from Muslim backgrounds. And so when we're participating today um, in this in this day of prayer for Muslim background believers, MBB, um, let me encourage you to uh, even just drive around your own community. Go to the places and spaces where you know that there are people who have immigrated from Muslim-majority countries and pray in those communities for an opportunity to make a friendship, make a friend, build a bridge, start a conversation, um, have some kind of shared interest. Certainly, if there are um, if there are families with whom you intersect from time to time who come from a Muslim background, we're inviting you not only to be praying today. Pray today that God would open a door of opportunity for a conversation um, with those individuals. I have uh, a person right now whom God has brought to my mind, and so um, allow God to do that in your life today as well. I invite you to participate in this day of prayer. Uh, globally for people from uh, Muslim backgrounds and pray that God would draw them unto himself, even even through visions and dreams. Ruth Kramer, as always, thank you so very much. You can find and connect with everything we talked about here today at missionnews.org. We'll be right back. All right, this is a little shout out to uh, my friend Matt, who I know is listening right now. Hey, you know those people down the street from you, um, that multi-generational Kurdish family that's building a house? I'm going to encourage you to, man, have them in your sights today in terms of prayers for people from Muslim backgrounds. And it does occur to me, we we need to not make assumptions about anybody. So those Kurdish neighbors you have, um, they might be Iraqi Kurds, they might be Syrian Kurds, they might be Yazidis, just because 98% of Kurds identify as, um, as either Sunni or Shia um, Islamic believers, that um, that leaves a small minority of Kurds who are uh, Yazidis and others who are, in fact, Christians. And so let's be mindful today that, um, that just because a person comes from a Muslim-majority country does not necessarily mean they're Muslim. So let's initiate those conversations today. Let's talk to people with whom we have encounters about their background, the places from which they've come. Um, and certainly their religious uh, beliefs. It's an opportunity for us to engage the culture meaningfully as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. So prayer, care, share. Pray for your neighbors. Tangibly care for them. That God might open up an opportunity for you to also share the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, we got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.